Now, if you would please take a copy of God's Word and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We are continuing our series through the 11th chapter of Hebrews. Tonight, we will consider three verses, 29 through 31. What follows in the chapter, picking up in verse 32, is a more summary of sorts. And so this is kind of the last place where we see the pattern of, by faith, so-and-so did this. And by faith, so-and-so received this from the Lord. Um, But what's interesting in verses 29 and 30, there's not one particular person that's identified. It is the believing community. And what we'll see there is the crossing of the Red Sea in verse 29 and the walls of Jericho falling. And we do have instrumental leaders in those accounts. Moses in crossing the Red Sea and Joshua leading the people into the conquest of Jericho. But the writer of Hebrews wants to point out that there was a believing community that by faith saw the Lord's promises come to them. That by faith, they saw the Lord's deliverance. By faith, they saw the Lord's help. But then, going from considering the corporate, considering the group, one more person is highlighted. Rahab. But her faith is not uh, a break from considering corporate faith. It is connected to the idea of corporate faith. And so in these verses tonight, what we will see is that it goes from individuals to families in Hebrews chapter 11 to a people of faith. And what's important for us to see before we read God's word tonight is that part of persevering in the Christian walk is something that you and I do together. And that is by God's design. And so tonight we will consider the corporate faith of God's people in verses 29 through 31. Before we read Hebrews eleven twenty nine through 31, let us go to the Lord and ask for his help in prayer. Please join me in prayer. Our great God and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we come to you tonight. We ask for your spirit that it would be a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of the one true God that the eyes of our hearts will be enlightened, that as we meditate on your word tonight, we would grow in our hope, that we would behold the riches that belong to us in Christ, that we'd be reminded of your power towards us, and that we'd be strengthened to live as your disciples for your glory. So we ask tonight, Christ, that you would be glorified in the preaching of your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. We ask that we would grow in your grace, that we might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We ask that your Spirit's help that this will be accomplished through the reading and proclamation of your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Hear the word of God from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 29 through 31. By faith, 
The people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Amen. And that ends this reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. What is our corporate faith then as a body, as a group? Our corporate faith is in our promise-keeping God. And that's what we see here in these three verses. That God wants his people to place their confidence in him. And that the writer of Hebrews wants to remind his audience in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their affliction, that the God in whom they have professed will keep his promises just as he done in the past. And he would do so not just for individuals, but for his people. So in the crossing of the Red Sea, in the battle of Jericho, in the life of Rahab, we see that God is trustworthy in times of trouble and adversity. In the face of what is seemingly impossible, we as his people, we can count on him. There's three seemingly impossible situations that I want us to consider, one in each verse. So in verse 29, the impossible rescue. In verse 30, the impossible victory. And then verse 31, the impossible convert. The impossible rescue. Our covenant-keeping God is able to deliver his people when rescue seems impossible. Here, the writer of Hebrews is referencing Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14 is God's people, after 400 years of slavery, have been led out of Egypt by Moses. They're coming with the, the spoils and the treasures of Egypt. And God told Moses that he would harden Pharaoh's heart. After 10 plagues, he wasn't done with demonstrating his glory over against Pharaoh. And he has one more occasion to do so. But in setting the stage, the Hebrews, as they're following Moses out, they look back and they see that Pharaoh and his chariots are on their heels. They weren't prepared for this. But by faith, the Lord will see them through. By faith, they will come to know his deliverance. But it's good for us to be reminded that as they stood on the edge of the Red Sea, water in front, Pharaoh's armies behind them, they trembled. They were frightened. They began to panic. There in Exodus 14, 10 through 12, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And Moses tells us here in Exodus 14, they feared greatly. They feared greatly. But what did they do with that fear? And then it goes on in verse 10, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And then they said to Moses, verse 11, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? 
Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They panic. In a moment of fear and by all accounts, from a human perspective, they had every reason to fear. They had no defenses. They had nowhere to go. They're landlocked by water, trapped with an angry pharaoh and his armies. Remember, these are the Egyptians who just within a couple hours or so have lost their firstborn sons because of these Hebrews, because of their God. And God has hardened Pharaoh's heart to, he doesn't fear the Lord, but he's angry at God's people and he's pursuing them. So by all accounts, they have every good reason to fear. But they have forgotten the promises of God for a moment. Because God did promise their father in the faith, Abraham, in Genesis 15, 13 through 16, that these very events would happen and that he would deliver them from those events. There in Genesis 15, verse 13, God told Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they should come out with great possessions. And as for you, you shall go to the fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God had promised their father Abraham that after 400 years of servitude and slavery to a foreign master, that the very land that Abraham was sojourning in, his people would return to, his descendants would come back to. And in doing so, he would bring judgment against the nation that put them into slavery. So now the time of the Amorites is done. Their iniquity is full. The Lord is going to judge Egypt and he's going to judge the inhabitants of the land. But in this moment, the people of God are petrified. And so God speaks to them again. And they go from doubting fear to believing obedience because of the word of the Lord comes to them through Moses. And in Exodus 14, verses 13 through 16, Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Dry ground. And the people go from frightening to simple faith and believing the word of the Lord through Moses. And they go forward. That was God's word to them. And they go forward on dry land. And the story goes that they pass through the Red Sea and Pharaoh and his entire army is lost. The writers of Scripture, the prophets and into the New Testament they, they build out the, this exodus scene as a picture of our mighty deliverance from God. 
The whole Exodus account from the Passover to the passing through the Red Sea by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, he says that Christ is our Passover lamb. And then later in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 2, he says, all Israel was baptized in Moses. This was the great deliverance and salvation of God's people. And it remains for God's people a, point, a pointer to the faith in God's power to deliver us from the power of sin. And what is it? It's that God fought the fight that his people could not fight. And to each of us as believers, it is telling us that Christ has fought the battle against your enemy that you could not fight. That you should have been overwhelmed and taken by the army and prince of darkness. But Christ has conquered him through his life, death, and resurrection. And just as God delivered his people from the tyranny of Pharaoh, so God is delivering sinners who place their trust in Christ from the tyranny of sin, death, and Satan. But what was it? What separated the Egyptians and the Hebrews? Because that's the contrast that the writer in Hebrews 29 wants to say that there was two people who were, two groups that were crossing on dry land at the same time. Some made it, some didn't. And the simple difference was that the Hebrews had the word of the Lord that they believed from Moses. And in between them and the Egyptians, the cloud that once was leading them and the angel of the Lord that was once was leading them, it says in Exodus 14, is now a barrier between Pharaoh and the people of God. It's this image that they are separated from hearing the word of the Lord, and because they did not hear the word of the Lord, they perish in the Red Sea. And his faith in what God has promised and what he's done is what separates every sinner between the Christian and the non-Christian what is the distinguishing factor? Those who believe the word of the gospel and those who do not. Because for each of us, our enemy is too great and the battle is too much for us. And unless someone is to fight for us, then we will be defeated. Remember the dry ground and the destruction of Pharaoh and his army. And we are to persevere trusting that our promise-keeping God is able to deliver his people when rescue seems impossible. But then, the, in verse 30, we see the impossible victory. The impossible victory. This is recalling back to Joshua chapter 6. So we've gone from Exodus 14 and verse 29 to Joshua chapter 6 here in verse 30. Now in the timeline of the history of redemption, these events aren't back to back. There's about 40 years between the crossing of the Red Sea and the defeating of the Jericho. And what we have here is a new generation facing the impregnable fortress city of Jericho, surrounded by high stone walls. Here, this is the entrance into the land that was promised to them. And it's not like you start off like a, what used to be in college football, like you start your season with some like cupcake schools and then you like move up into like 
maybe a big out-of-conference game, and then you move into conference play, and you save the big rivalry for later. But you start with, you know, playing a small junior college of some sort, and it's the, the, the school, it looks like the varsity versus the JV. You think that would have been a great way to enter the promised land. But that's not the way that the Lord led them. He led them right the entrance to the promised land to the impregnable fortress city of Jericho. A city that many people have tried to assail and could not. This is what the people of God are facing. And that's one barrier. That's one challenge. The other is that this is the descendants of unbelievers. The descendants of grumblers. The descendants of those who did not make it into the promised land. See, it wasn't supposed to be a long journey from the Red Sea to Jericho. It was quite a, a short journey, but it was a long journey because of unbelief. Forty years, so much so that that generation had to die off. The writer of Hebrews has already referenced this in Hebrews chapter 3. If you have your Bible there, you could turn back there, but I'll, I'll read it for us. The generation in between the, the Red Sea and the walls of Jericho, the very generation that walked through the Red Sea, says this, the writer of Hebrews, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, who bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that we are unable to enter because of unbelief. An entire generation was lost in the wilderness because of unbelief. But now there's a generation that finds itself at the doorstep of the promised land, looking up at the walls of Jericho. And in doing so, this is a generation that acts in obedience, the obedience, obedience that is preferenced by belief. Belief in the promises to God. Once again, promises made to their father Abraham. In Genesis 15, this time, the Lord told their father Abraham that he would give his descendants, his offspring, victory. That he would give them the land in Genesis 15, 18. He would give them the land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. And then he lists the people that were there, all the peoples in the land. And he identifies here, first, the Canaanites. The Canaanites, the ones who were, would inhabited the walls of Jericho. God had told their father Abraham that he would give them victory over their enemies. And so the word of the Lord comes through Joshua. And it's an interesting word. He says, go march around the city for seven days. And when you march, don't say a word. There in Joshua chapter 6. And then, on the seventh day, march around seven times. And after the seventh march around the city, blow the trumpets. And they did, and the walls fell. So what is positively stated in Hebrews 30 uh, 11 verse 30, and what is referenced in Hebrews chapter 3, we see contrasting pictures of the people of God walking in obedient faith. 
that the previous generation had an assignment and they did not believe the promises of God and failed in their assignment. But here, the next generation, led by Joshua, believed the promises of God and they accomplished their assignment, beginning with the walls of Jericho. It was a sign intended to show God's people that He was with them, that He was able to accomplish what He had assigned them to do. There would be other battles that would be more like traditional warfare and battles, but they begin the conquering of the land, the land promised to them, with a wonderful sign that this will be done by faith, and that your obedience in doing so, the Lord will meet you and walk with you. For us, as a believing body of, of Christians, we too have an assignment with attached great promises. That assignment is our great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. But sometimes in doing so, not to get over metaphorical, it does feel like the campus is a walled secular institution like the walls of Jericho, impregnable with the gospel. It feels like maybe that family member or your, your entire family seems like an impossible mission. And the Great Commission stands to go and make disciples of all peoples with the promise that our Lord is with us even to the end of the age, that He will never leave us. And that as we bring the Word of God, the Word of the Gospel to lost friends and family members in that simple act of obedience, walking in faith, the Lord will accomplish His purposes through His people as a group. Do you believe that? We need to be reminded of that. The task of the, of the Great Commission and the unbelieving world around us, it seems to be growing ever daunting each day. And God is with us. And when we step out in simple faith, inviting someone to church, inviting someone to read the Bible with you, sharing a recording of a sermon, sharing a evangelistic track or book with them. The Lord is with us, and what is impossible in our own strength, He is able to do and able to accomplish. We are to remember the fallen walls and persevere in trusting that our promise-keeping God is able to advance His kingdom even when victory seems impossible. And lastly, we come to our impossible convert. Our impossible convert this is a reference back to the book of Joshua again in Joshua chapter 2. Now, of all the people to give attention to in Hebrews chapter 11, and right on the heels of the Exodus and the walls of Jericho, why is it that the writer of Hebrews chooses Rahab, a scandalous sinner? Consider, like, if I was outlining, hey, we're going to write the Hall of Fame of Faith and we're going to like give six verses to David and Goliath, at least, minimum, six verses. Or maybe, you know, at least four verses on Daniel. But Daniel isn't even mentioned by name. David is given a passing reference. 
in some ways, some have put forward the case that Rahab is meant to be the climactic example. The ordinary, scandalous sinner. She's not a patriarch. But she is one who leaves her people, her identity, for the people of God. She hears what God has done for her for his people, and she says, I will leave behind my people, my identity, and I will attach myself and my life and my future and my hope to the God of Israel. She's the third woman referenced here in the Hebrews 11. There will be later that are giving a, a more passing reference. Moses' mother is referenced, but not by name. Abraham's wife, Sarah, is referenced. Rahab is a second woman referenced by name. The apostle uh, in the New Testament, in the genealogy of Christ, has pointed out that Rahab becomes one of the great, 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 great grandmothers to the Savior. James, in James chapter 2, holds her up as an example of someone who believed and then obeyed. Someone who then believed and then had works to accompany her, accompany her faith. And here in the salvation of Rahab, once again, it's a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. We shouldn't be surprised that the God of Abraham would save prostitutes like Rahab. That he would save a Canaanite woman who has very little knowledge of him, but we come to see that she does have this much of a testimony of what God has done for his people, and she builds an entire faith, so much so that it leads her into repentance and to attach herself to the people of God. The promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And here in the conquering of the enemies of God's people, there is a family being rescued, brought in to the covenant community. Rahab and her family and her household. Rahab's profession is found in Joshua chapter 2, verse 9 through 13. I read it for us because it's, it's helpful to see where did this woman come to believe in this foreign God? Where did she come to believe in the God of the Hebrews? Well, she gives her own profession of faith. She does so to the spies who have gone ahead to spy out the land for, for Joshua. He has hid them. She has hid them from the, the king of Jericho's search army. Uh, they, have, they have come looking for them. They, they've heard that spies have entered into the walls of Jericho. And they are on the search for them. She has successfully hidden them. And after those who are looking for the spies leave, this is what Rahab says in Joshua 2, 9 through 13. I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before, before you when you came out of Egypt. See, there's a connection between the story of Jericho and the Red Sea in the mind of Rahab. 
She had heard about what had happened 40 years ago. And she goes on, And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And listen listen what she says in verse 11. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Let's consider her profession. Her faith is commended to us in Hebrews 11, and here is her faith in her own words. Ralph Davis is helpful. He he points out three things. In her profession here in Joshua chapter 2, he says, you see that she professes the might of the Lord, the majesty of the Lord, and the mercy of the Lord. The might of the Lord. In verse 10, there she said, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you. She had heard. Now think about that. The word of God traveling to a Canaanite prostitute. Word of mouth. No, no prophet or envoy. No, no minister of, of the word. But somehow the, the, the gossip of Canaan land has carried the testimony of how God has delivered his people. And it was enough. It was enough. And from it, it was enough for her to have faith. What is the basis of her faith? She has heard what God has done. It reminds us that faith is not a feeling. Feelings accompany faith, but ultimately faith is informed trust. And the Canaanite prostitute, Rahab, she has informed trust. And our faith grows as informed trust in the Word of God as we hear the Word of God, reminded of the promises of God. She believes that the God of the spies that she is hiding is the mighty one. She also believes that he is the majestic one. She professes her belief in the majesty of the Lord. There in verse 11, she says, For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. This is the conviction of her faith. Having heard, she says, there is no God like the God of the Hebrews. There is no God like the God who who led his people out of the Red Sea. He is the one true God. He is the God above all gods. This should have been the conclusion that the generation that died off in the wilderness should have come to. But here, the Canaanite harlot gives a better confession than the generation that died in the wilderness. She recognizes the supremacy of the one true God. And she is willing to leave behind the gods of her people for the gods of the, for the God of the Israelites. The might of the Lord, the majesty of the Lord, but also the mercy of the Lord. And that's what she concludes when she implores the spies in verses 12 to 13. She says, as I, as I have dealt kindly with you, 
deal kindly with me and my father's house. Here is the evidence of her faith. She doesn't just have right ideas about God. He's mighty. He's majestic. She also entrusts herself to him. It's more than just having correct belief about God, but she has realized her desperate need for God. Faith is not content with just having some understanding about the reality of God, but biblical faith and the faith that is commended to us in Hebrews 11, the persevering faith is the faith that seeks refuge in God And it's encouraging here that she would be held up for us, whether she is the pinnacle of the chapter or not, that she would be held up to us. These two great events, the, the impossible rescue, the impossible victory, and then this impossible convert. It's an encouragement for each of us that the depths of your sin are not too great for the might, majesty, and mercy of God. That the covenant community is a place for sexual sinners to find forgiveness and healing and restoration. Isn't that what is the, one of the great sins of our day? That each of us come carrying our sinful sexual baggage. And what is there? Great confusion in our day about the purpose of sex. For many, this has become their God. The pursuit of purpose and meaning in the expression of their sexuality. And in Rahab, we've seen someone who her life here still is, it's, it's wrapped up in her 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 work, her sexual sin is so tied to her identity and she is rescued from that and placed into the people of God. The might and majesty and mercy of God extends to sexual sinners and to all scandalous sinners. And that is our hope, is our corporate faith as a group we remember who we were before Christ and what we would be apart from the grace of Christ. And we welcome refugees from the world who have been burnt, hurt, destroyed from their own rebellion and disobedience. And we proclaim to them the God who is mighty, majestic, and even merciful to them. Remember the testimony of Rahab and we persevere trusting that our promise-keeping God will receive any that come to Him on the basis of faith. Our promise-keeping God will receive any that come to Him on the basis of faith. Tom Schreiner reminds us in chapter 11, we'll close out making this point, but I bring it up tonight. When Moses and Israel and Rahab put their trust in the Lord, they had not yet seen what he would do. Faith came first and deliverance later. They were in a position of 
the promises have been given to Abraham. They had to believe God, and then the deliverance came. But it reminds us quite simply that we stand as a body in a better position than God's people did. We stand in a better position than those who are the eyewitnesses to the splitting of the Red Sea, the fall of the walls of Jericho. Because we have seen how God has fulfilled all the promises to Abraham in his son. And so while they had promise with anticipation, we have seen so much unfold of redemption. And so we look back on God's faithfulness to Moses, to Israel, to Rahab. And it is to build our trust in him. Because of what still remains and what still remains in the realm of hope for the believer, we have seen so much that God has done for his people. And so we can persevere together because our corporate faith is in a promise-keeping God and nothing is impossible for him. Amen? Let's ask God's blessing on the preaching of his word. Would you join me in prayer again? Our great God, you are a mighty deliverer. And that is our confidence and our hope that you can deliver us from enemies without and you can deliver us from enemies within. Whether it be Satan or whether it be the remaining corruption and sin and temptation, you are mighty to save your people. You show steadfast love to us. You show patience to us in our unbelief. And your word remains true. So we place our confidence in our informed trust in your word. May we believe it and be built up by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.